Walk into a place and look like you know what you're doing and no one will challenge you. This was a theory that Anna Delvey put to the test in New York City during the summer of 2013. The $60 million fortune she flashed around for all to see was proof that people can be easily distracted by shiny things. But the people in her social circle would soon realize that you never truly know anyone. Mm-hmm. It's always sad when our musical heroes die too soon. Richie Valens, Kurt Cobain, and Elvis Presley are just a few giants of the industry that were taken from us way too soon. And they were taken in three distinctly different ways. Sometimes it's simply a tragic accident, but most times it's brought on by the rock and roll lifestyle of drugs, alcohol, and addiction. Such was the case of Hank Williams, who passed away when he was just 29 years old. From time to time, during the How Did We Miss That podcast, we may talk about details of crimes that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is highly advised. we miss that? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of How Did We Miss That? I'm Christine. And I'm John. Hey. Hey. I'm, I'm excited for this one. It was one I was kind of toying around with, so I'm glad I got a chance to do it. Good. I'm excited, too, and I should have picked up on what you said about you don't really know someone. Mm-hmm. When I finally get to the hook in my case, that's exactly what was going on as well. So well, perfect. How did we? How did we do that? That should be the name <laughs> of the we're show. So good. Same brain. Yeah. So All as right. I teased last week, I have a story of kind of mistaken identity. I guess is what you could call it. Not really sure what else you would call it, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. So it's mistaken, not stolen, or is uh, it? it's not stolen. Okay. It's uh, yeah. You'll you'll find out. In gotcha. A All right. All right. Well, my sources for the story are an article from The Cut from May of 2018. Of course, our best friend Wikipedia, and an episode of 60 Minutes Australia from April of 2021. Mate. I love it. All right. Well, let's start. You ready? Yeah. Ready is our... Yes. (laughs) All right. (laughs) At the sleek new boutique hotel in Soho, 11 Howard, Hannah was known for... I said Hannah. Her name's Anna. Not Hannah, excuse me. Wow, we are off to a fabulous start fabulous. here. Fabulous. Yeah. Um, anyway, Anna was known for being a very generous tipper. Staff said she would throw $100 bills, always in cash, your way, just for bringing up her mail or answering a question for her at the concierge desk. Make it rain. Seriously. Soon, the staff were fighting over who would have a chance to interact with her next. She had booked herself in the hotel for a month in one of their mid-range rooms that usually costs around $400 a night. She walked around like she owned the place, and they let her. Anna was preparing to launch a business, a ritzy club that focused on arts and culture, with locations in Los Angeles, London, Hong Kong, and Dubai. Or so she told anyone who would listen. She spent money like she couldn't get rid of it fast enough, was what some of her friends had said. Her hotel room was always filled with shopping bags. She was constantly getting one expensive treatment after another, getting cryotherapy and her nails done and spa treatments, everything all the time. She even hired a personal life coach. 
she uh, bought a package of sessions from her that cost around $4,500. Not bad. Seems like, you know. Seems doable for a good a, price, I guess. Someone who's throwing $100 bills around. Right. The weird part was, though, that she always paid everything in cash. That's a big red flag. Yeah. You're either a terrorist or a criminal or something. I mean, I don't remember the Leave last no time trace. I paid $4,000 in cash for really anything, except maybe the down payment on our house, which was more than that, but still. And it wasn't. We didn't handle it. Oh, no, no. Bills. It was a check. You're yeah. right. Yeah, it wasn't actual cash. I don't think I've ever held so, that much cash in my life. Yeah. Maybe once or twice. It's just strange that this person's carrying around that much cash is is weird. Yeah. All right. Well, though she didn't really seem to actually live anywhere, Anna had been a prominent social figure on the New York scene for quite some time. She was at all the best parties, fashion weeks, and could be seen whining and dining with New York's elite. Delvey had been an intern at European magazine Purple and appeared to be tight with the magazine's editor-in-chief. She would introduce herself, and the next thing these rich influencers knew, she was like hanging out with them and their friends, like she had known them forever. Just slide right in there. Yeah, just yeah. work her way on in. Mm-hmm. Soon, Anna was everywhere too, popping up in all the right places. Rumors were that she was a German heiress, or that she had flown in on a private jet, and those started to circulate, but the fact was that nobody really knew exactly where Anna came from. She told people she was from Cologne and that her father owned a business producing solar panels. To the elite of New York, though, this was normal. There was so much money and so many trust fund kids that nobody ever asked any questions. Hmm. Sounds like an interesting place to be, I guess. Yeah. That just seems weird. I mean, (laughs) I, I guess it makes sense when you think about it. Like, oh, gosh, so many people have so much money there that you just don't even think about it. Like, don't even blink twice. Yes, but... Even like we saw on the very true tale of the Titanic, the movie, everybody was questioning unsinkable Molly Brown's new money. So, I mean, I think people question, wait a yeah, minute. But that was How way did that long person, ago. <laughs> and it's a 100% true story, all that part right. in the movie. I'm just saying, I feel like people still question that. Like, how did this person just show up, you know? Yeah. I, I don't th- know. But I think the fact that. Nobody really knew. It wasn't a big deal, I guess. For I mean, everyone. I guess I do because I immediately think of bad things like, oh, they're a drug dealer. Or they, you know. Right. Or stealing or something. Right. So, who was Anna Delvey? Well, just like I said, it's kind of, I guess, mistaken identity, although she kind of did it herself. Her name is Anna Sorokin. Hmm. And she was born in, okay, now careful with this one. Doma de Dovo, I believe is how you say that. <laughs> a working class town located southeast of Moscow. Okay. She was born in 1991. So she's still a little baby. What? How, how did they think she was German? Did she tell oh, them well, that? Oh, I'm an Italian minute. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Because Anna Delvey doesn't sound very German. Hannah. Hannah. Ironically yes. does, but not <laughs> Anna. <laughs> See, I'm even giving her a different name. Yeah. All right. Well, she was one of two children of the family. Her father worked as a truck driver, not a solar panel businessman, while her mother owned a small convenience store and then became a housewife when the children were born. The family relocated to Germany in 2007 when Anna was 16. Ah. She attended school in Eschweiler and was described by classmates as a quiet girl who had a difficult time with the German language. Mm -hmm. Well, she's Russian. Those... Seem like the two hardest languages, <laughs> maybe Chinese, but uh, yeah, those are sound 
seem At least difficult they both to seem learn. very severe. Yes, you always sound angry. Yeah, yeah. I was so mad. <laughs> Sorokin graduated from high school in 2011 and relocated to London to attend Central St. Martin's, but quit and returned to Germany soon after. She worked as an intern for a PR firm before relocating to Paris to begin an internship for the French fashion magazine Purple. At that time, she started calling herself Anna Delvey. Her parents have said they have no idea where that name came from. Hmm. So it's not like it was grandma's name or... yeah. She took her mother's maiden name. It's just a name she made up, I guess. What's wrong with Sorokin? I don't know. What? There's a hockey goalie by that name. Cool. Yeah. During the summer of 2013, Anna traveled to New York City to attend New York Fashion Week. She found it easier to make friends in New York than Paris, so she decided to stay and transferred to Purple's New York office for a brief time. Sometime after quitting Purple, she invented the idea of the Anna Delvey Foundation. Mm a private members club and art foundation and proposed it to various wealthy members of the city's social scene. Her proposal included leasing the church missions house, which is a big kind of, I think it was like six story building. Mm -hmm. Um, And she wanted it as a multi-purpose events venue and art studio, a project that would cost millions to make happen. Now, by now you're probably asking yourself, so what? Right? Yes. So what? Yeah. So what? So what? Well, Here's where Anna's story starts to take a turn. So buckle up. I still need to get that sound effect. This will be very perf- perfect right here. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, right? I'll just keep singing it, I guess. Thanks. Yeah. I thought you meant like a buckle. like a. Oh, that too. Yeah, because you always tell me to strap in and buckle up. Yep. All right. Well, in 2015, Anna is introduced to Michael Shufu Huang. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> At a dinner party. He was a student at the University of Pennsylvania with plans to open a private art museum, which he actually eventually did. He founded Beijing's M. Woods Museum. Mm -hmm. Upon learning that Huang planned to attend the Venice Biennale. Thank you. Yeah. An arts organization that's based in Venice. (laughs) No, I'm not. Anna asked him if she could go with him, and Huang agreed, and booked a flight in a hotel room, finding it kind of strange that she was being asked to sorry he not she who's being asked to pay for the flight and the hotel room on his credit card Mm. but he kind of just shrugged it off like oh whatever i guess it's weird but it's fine and she told him that she would reimburse him of course but once they returned to new york anna just forgot like you do yeah huang just assumed that she had just forgotten and since it was a mere three to four thousand dollars He didn't pursue it or think much of it until after Huang attended Anna's birthday party at her favorite restaurant, Sedell's, in January of 2016. The restaurant, after seeing a picture of him with her on social media, contacted him to ask if he had her contact information. She had given a fake credit card and did not pay for the event. This is when he knew they were dealing with someone who was not as she seemed. Yes. That was really great uh, Thank you. <laughs> content there. I'm glad you're following the story. <laughs> I am. I, I mean, I agree. I, I feel like there's there would have been other red flags, not just that, but I don't know. Hmm. She's a good faker, I guess. Yeah. During this time, Anna was making plans for her enormous art slash social club that would include hotel rooms, three restaurants, a juice bar, and a German bakery. Wow. And <laughs> Sounds weird. Yeah. 
Sounds like our workout club, but with art. Right. <laughs> Apparently, her family was prominent in Germany and would be funding this project for her. Mm. But a project of this size required more money than even someone of Anna's apparently considerable resources could manage. It was going to be approximately $25 million. Yikes. That's a lot of money. Yeah. To help secure a loan, one of Anna's finance friends had told her to get in touch with Joel Cohen, best known as the prosecutor of Jordan Belfort. Do you know who that is? Nope. Okay. Well, he's also known as. The Wolf of Wall Street. That was terrible improv on my part, but I really don't know who he is. I'm sorry. That's fine. <laughs> he put her in touch with Andy Lance, a partner of his at his current firm, who happened to have the exact kind of expertise that Anna needed. According to Anna, she and Lance spoke every day in the middle of the night or even when he was in Turks and Caicos for Christmas. Mm. So he was like, anything she said, he jumped, right? Yeah. You know what that means. Yep. After filling out the new client intake forms which included checking boxes that confirmed the client had the resources to pay and would not embarrass the firm. Anna was then put in touch with several large financial institutions, including City National Bank and Fortress Investment Group. Lance wrote in an email that Anna needed the loan because, and this is a quote, her personal assets, which are quite substantial, are located outside the U.S., <laughs> some of them in trust with the U.S. or sorry, UBS outside the U.S., the money she received, she added, would be fully secured by a letter of credit from the Swiss bank. Sounds legit, right? Very much so. Basically, it's a statement saying, oh, trust me, it's fine. When the banker at City National asked to see the UBS statements, he received a list of figures from a man named Peter W. Henneke, asking him to use the projections he sent for now and that he would have the real facts and figures to him by Monday. When the banker questioned Peter's AOL email address, Anna explained that he was her family's personal finance manager. So all of this makes so much sense. Did I lose you over there? No, I'm looking up her picture because I wanted to know, is she like some hot, like Russian blonde, mm -mm. you know, to make all of these powerful people do anything she said and believe anything she said. I mean, what kind of banker just takes this on, on word, like without seeing actual documents and stuff. I mean, she sounds like, um, that movie catch me if you can. She sounds like a female version of. Yeah. Well, but that's, and that's what it is. It's like, Oh, well she knows this person. So she must be on the up and up. And like, that's just what kept happening. You yeah. know, like if you yeah. get introduced to somebody as someone's good friend, you take for granted that they're, yeah, you like you know, that a good person because you know, yeah. yeah, right. So I think that just kind of kept happening. People yeah. kept vouching for her, but they didn't follow the chain. Yeah, in that <laughs> movie, in that movie, nobody was vouching for him, but he was very charming and good looking, and right. And she just kind like, of walked around like she knew what she was doing. Yeah, that's. You know? I mean, I know that works in my field. I've seen that happen all the time. Mm -hmm. You can get into just about anything if you do that. Mm -hmm. You just gave away a industry uh, i think everybody knows that there's plenty <laughs> of videos out there all right well soon spring came and anna's social circle seemed smaller than it had been in the past and mainly consisted of herself a photo editor at vanity fair and the trainer that she had hired earlier when asked where all her friends were she shrugged it off saying that they were mad at her for leaving purple the magazine mm -hmm. yeah not the color yes <laughs> she did not um Leave purple the color. No, she didn't decide to just not wear purple any longer. Yeah. Anyway. 
Well, it also turned out that Anna's luck was just starting to run out. Mm. City National Bank had just rejected her loan request and credit cards were getting declined. Uh Uh-oh. One friend mentioned that her card was declined for a $300 bill at a restaurant. When the waiter told her the news, she handed him a book with over 12 different numbers and asked him to run them all. Wow. <laughs> what restaurant just takes paper numbers written down? Uh, that does yeah. not seem... <laughs> anyway, as you can guess, none of them worked. And her poor friend had to foot the bill. They actually ran them? Yeah, they ran What year them was this? 2017, I think. No way. 2016, 17? Yeah, something like that. Wow. Mm-hmm. That guy needs to be fired. Right? Holy cow. Well, but I feel bad because the friend that told the story, yeah, she said she had to transfer money from her savings account to pay for this $300 bill. And of course, Anna was like, oh, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. Yeah, yeah. She never of course. did. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, Eleven Howard, which is the hotel she was staying at, realized that they didn't have a credit card on file for Anna Delvey. How do you check into a hotel without a credit card? You can't. Right? Not then. I mean- well ridiculous so that's what i'm saying is she like swindling people she's gotta be because the hotel had been so new when she arrived and because she was staying for such an unusually long time and because she was a client of the building's owner and a very valued guest it had agreed to accept a wire transfer Mm. so it's this what i was telling you oh but i'm friends with the owner the the vip and the owner's like yeah yeah yeah, she's fine she's good for it right yeah yep unbelievable but a month and a half later, no such transfer had arrived, and now Delvey owed the hotel some $30,000. Oh, boy. For including what? Including charges from a restaurant that she'd been billing to her room. Mm-hmm. So, remember I told you it's $400 a night for the room. She's stayed for over a month and a half now. Oh, yeah. Okay. There you yeah, go. Yeah. And she's charging restaurant fees if each dinner is like 300 bucks every time. Yeah. Adds up pretty quickly. Jesus. The hotel decided to lock her out of her room. They put all her things in storage. But a month later, something miraculous happened. Citibank sent a wire transfer in the amount of $30,000 on behalf of Anna. But she had already been asked to leave. <laughs> well, at least they got their money. Mm-hmm. At this time, she bounced around to people's couches and other hotels. I, like, <laughs> aren't the, her friends going, why are you staying on my couch? Like, if you have so much money, like, why are you, like, isn't this throwing... <laughs> I, I, she sounds very people? persuasive, so I it guess it sounds not. like she always has an answer. Like yeah. she's got an explanation for every single thing. So We've all known someone like that. that, but yeah. Well, eventually she landed at the Four Seasons. Mm. I mean, if you got to yeah. stay in a hotel, it might as well be the Four Seasons. Yeah, that did not last long, however, and soon she was calling friends, telling them that her credit cards had all been declined because they were out of the country and not being recognized. Oh, exactly. Yeah, of course, that, that happens, happens all the time. Yeah. One friend actually agreed to give Anna her credit card, but then that was declined. And eventually she was able to get one of her friends that didn't even know Anna to give her her credit card (laughs) because she promised she'd pay her back. With a wire transfer. With a wire transfer, yeah. She moved downtown to the Beekman Hotel, but that only compounded her troubles. Not only did she now owe the new hotel now, but over in London, the designer she'd hired to do her branding work was getting a little upset because she owed him 16,800 pounds. That's heavy. And she promised it would arrive by wire transfer. Wow. But this was almost a year before. This person went a whole year before starting to get mad. 
Insane. Well, that tells me his business was doing well. People that are struggling, they need their money now. Right. So. Well, um, now emails to Anna's personal family financial advisor. Remember I told you about this guy? Peter W. Hanecki. Mm-hmm. Well, they're bouncing back. They're Uh-oh. not going anywhere. So when Anna's questions about this, she says, oh, he died. <laughs> Do you think he was ever real? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Oh, good. So she says he died, and she says, please don't bother him or his family with all of this right now. Well, him, not, you can't, because he's dead, but yeah, yeah. his family, right? Things were rapidly deteriorating for Anna Delvey in New York. 20 days into her stay at the Beekman Hotel, they realized they did not have a working credit card on file. Hmm. And having not received the promised wire transfer for her balance of $11,518.59, they locked Anna out of her room and confiscated her belongings. Another two-day stay at the W Hotel downtown ended in the same way. And by July 5th, Anna was basically homeless. So there's yeah. something going on here that is not being covered unless you're going to get to it. I work in these circles, sort of. There would have been like a, a network uh, you know, bulletin about this person. Be on the lookout for her with a picture because she keeps doing this at every hotel on the block. How, how is she getting away with this? Right. So these two hotels actually went to the New York Post okay. about her. Yeah. And told her that, or told the New York Post what she had done, basically, and that she was uh, being sought, I yeah. guess, yeah. for this money. So she was actually called out uh, very publicly, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's one way to do it. I'm just saying, I thought, I, I would think that there would yeah. have been like a bolo. For her, you know, well, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you how all of this kind of kept falling into place here. Okay. Cause like, I got to tell you if I'm, I'm the 11 Howard hotel and she owes me $30,000 and then suddenly this transfer comes in for $30,000. I'm just like, eh, whatever. And not worry about it. Right. Yeah. So the W hotel and the Beekman hotel, these are like quick, you know, short stays, not as long as the Mm -hmm. stay at the other hotel. So these things are just kind of happening. I think really quickly now. Yeah. As it turned out, Anna's hotel bills were merely the first loose threads in a web of fraudulent activity, mm-hmm. one that began to unravel in November of 2016. So it's 2016. After she submitted documents claiming a net worth of $60 million in Swiss accounts to City National Bank in pursuit of a $22 million loan. So remember that loan that she got denied for? I do. The following month, she submitted the same documents to Fortress in an attempt to secure a $25 million to $35 million loan. Mm-hmm. After that, bank asked her for $100,000, basically just to cover the cost of like checking into her. Yeah. Um, she convinced a representative at City National to extend her the $100,000 line of credit, which she then wired to Fortress. So she's just like crossing things, basically. I can't, I can't get a $1,000 credit card over here, and I'm gainfully employed. What the hell's going on here? I know. I, I don't know. People are just handing this woman free yeah, money. Right? Then, apparently spooked by Fortress's decision to send representative to Switzerland to personally check her assets, she withdrew herself from the process halfway through, wiring the remaining $55,000 to a Citibank account that she used for personal expenses. Then in April, she deposited $160,000 worth of bad checks into the same account, managing to withdraw $70,000 before they were returned, which is how she managed to pay off 11 Howard. Mm-hmm. 
In May, Anna convinced the company Blade to charter her a $35,000 jet to Omaha by sending them a forged confirmation for a wire transfer from Deutsche Bank. Yeah. This truly is a real-life uh, Frank Abagnale story. Crazy. Crazy amounts movie. of money. This is exactly what he did. Bad checks, cashed them. Yep. Had local places and then had cash to buy things. The mm-hmm. FBI finally caught up to him. But so she paid everything in cash. Yeah. <laughs> she wants to watch this movie. I'm serious. Maybe. <laughs> it's possible. Sounds just like it. Well, remember Anna's family advisor? Yes. The late Peter W. Hanecki? Yes. Yeah. Well... He seems to have been a fictional character. Of course. His cell phone number belonged to a now defunct burner phone from a supermarket. Ooh. Yeah. The old burner. She's yeah. serious about this. She, she studied she this. She went crazy. Well, the hotels eventually pressed charges and Anna was remanded to jail for grand larceny in the first degree. Mm-hmm. On May 9th, 2019, Sorokin was given a sentence of four to 12 years in state prison, fined $24,000, and ordered to pay restitution of about $199,000. She currently sits, having made many new friends on Rikers Island. But she's an empty bag, as some would say. She doesn't have any of her own real money. How is she going to pay that restitution? She can't. I don't know. She'll just get out of jail and start doing this again. Well, I doubt. I don't know. We'll <clears throat> see. We'll see. Yeah, so that's uh, my story. I love a good story like that. So as I was doing my research... And this is just something I happened to hear, like, on a board. Somebody mentioned the name, so I went and looked it up, and then I fell down this huge rabbit hole of information. Yeah. Apparently, though, Netflix is in talks about doing her documentary. Oh, amazing. So. We'll be watching that. I'm ahead of the game. You are ahead of the game. And then that means when they do it, this episode will blow up. And I feel like we did the residential schools, and then suddenly it, like, blew up in everyone's face. Yeah. We're, We're, like... Trendsetters. We are on the forefront on of the ball crime with stories that people missed. <laughs> Go mm-hmm. figure. Mm-hmm. Maybe these producers are out there listening to us and like, oh crap. Maybe that's a good story. Yeah. All right. Well, I mentioned in my intro that I'm going to talk about the death of Hank Williams. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Before you begin, sure. I know that name, but I can't for the life of me figure out any songs he's famous for. Do you know any? You're cheating hard. Okay, thank you. That's all I know all right. of that song. I mean, I know the name. It's very familiar and famous. So you probably are more familiar with Hank Williams Jr., his probably. son. Mm-hmm. Who, um, you know, obviously is still alive now and has made country music for our time. I would say right. generation because he's older. But yeah, he, he's popular and he's in the Country Music Hall of Fame. And you probably are more familiar with that. Okay. The Hank Williams Sr. was only 29 years old. So, I mean, he didn't have much of a career. Right. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, I start out my uh, my summary here saying that I'm a music guy. I know a lot about music. I studied music as my first major in college, but I don't know anything about Hank Williams either. Oh, sorry. I should have waited. <laughs> no, it's okay. And I just, I, I just learned through this research because, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And uh, I certainly did not know the story of his death. Um, until I was trying to stay alive on the Stairmaster the other day. If you haven't been on a Stairmaster, it, it will kill you if you're not careful. I noticed up on the, the TV, the Travel Channel of all places was showing some show that I didn't catch the name of, but I, I think it was something paranormal. But oh. I don't know. They have all kinds of weird shows that are nothing to do with travel on the Travel Channel. Mm. And it was about his death and how it may have been foul play slash something more sinister. So I was right. like, ooh. Okay, well, that sounds like a good story. 
And so I picked it up and I started uh, doing some research on it because I had not heard of this. I didn't even really know anything about Hank Williams Sr. Right. Only know Jr. So uh, thanks to this show, How Did We Miss That? And uh, the true crime brainwashing that you've put me through, um, <laughs> you know, naturally I paid a little more attention to the TV than the right. Stairmaster and thus a story was born. So My here we go. job is done. Yes, you really have. I see things in a whole different light now. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that'd be a good story for the show. That'd be a good story for the show. And I turned our kid. I turned yeah, you. Stuff I normally wouldn't, you know, give two S's about. Right. <clears throat> so since you and I don't know, and I'm assuming most of the listeners don't know, I'm going to go into a little history about Hank Williams. Oh, good. He was widely considered country music's first superstar. Oh, okay. He was born in 1923 in rural Mount Olive, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Typical beginnings for someone in this area during that time, poor parents, worked hard, blah, 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 all the stuff we hear. His father worked as a logger before entering a VA hospital when Hank was only six years old, and then he didn't see him much after that. And that's where my sources, which are biography.com and Wikipedia, and that show, whatever that show is, very helpful. <laughs> I wish I could have got the name, but you know at the gym, like you can hardly hear it. And right. whatever. I'll, yeah. So just, you're trying to read the little <clears throat> captions as fast as you can while you're bouncing up yeah, and down. Whilst yeah. trying not to die. Like I said, like right. literally die. If mm-hmm. you one foot slips off that, you will die. Oh, God, so that. I was trying to not die. Now I'm making a mental note to look on YouTube for anyone falling oh, yeah. off of a stair it'll, it'll be a, It'll be good. Good stuff. <laughs> Anyway, so I don't know if he died or if he was just like estranged or whatever, but the mom up and moved them to a different part of Alabama, far away, and took took him away. And there was never another mention of the dad. So I'm not sure what's going on there. How do we get in on that? Maybe there's, I know, right? (laughs) Maybe there's some more, um, well, typical story. I mean, the dad vanishes and whatever. Um, Another key note of Hank's childhood which I want you to pay attention here because this will be on the test later. Okay. Was he at spina bifida? Oh. Okay. That spinal condition set him apart from the other kids his age and created kind of this sense of separation from the world around him, which only helped him become better musically because he had a bunch of time to practice and not be distracted by everything else. He was a quick study and learned how to play folk, country, and and blues at a very early age. He first started playing guitar at the age of eight. Wish our eight-year-old would do something productive and amazing. I know, wouldn't that be nice? He wouldn't do anything. I think he was pretty productive last week. Oh, she's uh, he's, he's not, not eight. eight. He's eleven. He Sorry. was when he the was girl. eight. He didn't the do girl. anything. Sorry. When he was just thirteen, he made his radio debut. Oh wow, thirteen. Yeah, right. A year later, he was entering talent shows and had his own band, Hank Williams and his Drifting Cowboys. <laughs> That's not a kick-ass country band. I don't know what it is. Yeah, right. It's pretty good. <laughs> Hank's mother was in full support of his musical aspirations and drove him to all of his shows throughout Alabama during his early years. Couldn't drive, he's 13. Right. Well, 14 now. By the early 1940s, he had already caught the attention of music executives in Nashville. That's country music heaven right there. Right. You're set. Gotta go to Nashville. You're set if that happens. Things were looking up for the young star and his family. But wait, there's There's more. more. Here's where the story starts to take an unfortunate and all too familiar tune, like I said earlier. Tune. See what I did there? It's good Mm -hmm. stuff, right? I like it. As his immense talents as a singer-songwriter continued to blossom, so did his increasing dependence on alcohol. We've seen that so many times. Hank said that he drank to relieve his sometimes excruciating back pain. Mm -hmm. I told you it would be on the test. 
This is remnants of his spinal condition that he had when he was a child. But like it often does, this led to abuse and ultimately a problem with alcoholism. Right. In fact, his abuse eventually became so bad that he kind of became known around the industry as an unreliable performer. Hmm. I'd like to clarify, obviously, he's old enough. He wasn't drinking (laughs) heavily at 13. This has progressed after he turned 21 or at least 18, probably. There was no information as to when this really started. I knew know quite a few stories that started just like that one. Yeah, crazy, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Despite these troubles, Williams married in 1944 and had a son, Hank Williams Jr., who was born in 1949. So he's, you know, same age as my mom now, which Mm -hmm. is old AF. (laughs) You've heard of him. We talked about that just a minute ago. We've absolutely heard of his music and things like that. He also eventually enjoyed significant commercial success with several of his songs topping the Billboard and Country charts, and he even performed on Country's biggest stage. Do you know that? The Grand Ole Opry? The Grand Ole Opry. Nice. Songs such as Cold, Cold Heart, Your Cheatin' Heart, there we go. and I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive were some of his biggest and best known songs of the time. But as the titles of most of his songs would suggest, Williams' turmoil was never far from his day-to-day life and his success, and as his success grew, so did his dependence on the booze. And he was uh, going down a much more dangerous avenue and started taking morphine. Mm. Morphine mixed with the booze, not good. Oh, morphine by itself, dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mix it with booze, bad. Reli- reliability, easy for me to say, concerns due to his increasing addictions forced the Opry to fire him in 1952. And that same year, he and his wife parted ways and divorced. Yeah. Kick him while he's down, I'd right? divorce you if you got kicked out of the Grand Ole <clears throat> Opry, too. Not because of the drugs or anything, no, just because just of the Opry? Just got kicked off the Opry. As often happens when life knocks you down a bit, his physical appearance changed during that time as well. He began losing his hair and rapidly added 30 pounds to his waistline. Mm -hmm. To say things were headed downhill was an understatement, and it only gets worse, unfortunately. Oh, no. Despite this, Hank did remarry, this time to a younger woman named Billie Jean Jones. By the end of 1952, Williams had started to suffer heart problems. He met a man by the name of Horace... Raffle. Oh man, he already sounds sneaky. In quotes, Toby, because Horace and Raffle is a little. And Toby totally goes with all those names. Well, Toby rolls off the tongue a little better, especially in Oklahoma, where he was from. His last name was Marshall. He lived in Oklahoma City. He claimed to be a doctor. Marshall had been previously convicted for forgery and had been paroled and released from the Oklahoma State Penitentiary in 1951. Just the kind of doctor you want to have, right? Of course. Among other fake titles, this is where our stories kind of sync up here. Mm-hmm. He claimed to be a doctor of science. He purchased the doctor of science or DSC title for $35 from the Chicago School of Applied Science. You can just buy it? I guess. Well, shoot, I'm going to Chicago right now. In the diploma, he requested that the DSC was spelled out as doctor of science and psychology under the name of Dr. C.W. Lemon. He prescribed Williams with amphetamines, saconal, I'm not sure what that is, chloral hydrate and morphine. So he got this license, went by the name of C.W. Lemon, and was able to prescribe all this stuff to this guy. And Williams, of course, being an addict and in pain. Doesn't care where he's getting yeah, it Yeah, he took it. Williams was scheduled to perform at the Municipal Auditorium in Charleston, West Virginia on Wednesday, December 31st, New Year's Eve, of course, in 1952. Advanced ticket sales totaled 
$3,500 equivalent to about $34,000 in 2011. So this was pretty good money for him in 1952, money that he obviously needed after being fired and everything else. Well, because of an ice storm in the Nashville area that day, Williams could not fly. This sounds like a Buddy Holly and all mm-hmm. that, right? So he hired a college student named Charles Carr, I guess the uh, Uber of 1952. Ironic that he's a driver and his last name is Carr. I was just going to say. Um, he hired him to drive him to the concerts. Carr called the Charleston Auditorium from Knoxville to say that Williams would not arrive on time due to the ice storm and was ordered to drive Williams to Canton, Ohio for a different concert that was to be on New Year's Day. Mm. Williams and Carr departed from Montgomery, Alabama around 1 p.m. Williams arrived at the Andrew Johnson Hotel in Knoxville, Tennessee, where Carr checked in at around 7.08 p.m. They ordered two steaks in the lobby to be delivered to their rooms from the hotel's restaurant. He also requested a doctor for Williams. Because Williams was feeling the combination of chloral hydrate and alcohol that he had drunk on the way from Montgomery to Knoxville. Mm -hmm. Dr. P.H. Cardwell arrived and injected Williams with two shots of vitamin B12 that also contained a quarter grain of morphine. Carr and Williams checked out of the hotel around 10.45 p.m. The hotel housekeeping folks had to carry Williams to his vehicle. Oh, my Lord. Which was a 1952 Cadillac Series 62 convertible. I don't know why that's relevant, but it's in here. As he was coughing and hiccuping. So something's going on, right? He's having a reaction. He's not well. At around midnight on New Year's Day, Thursday, January 1st, 1953, they crossed the Tennessee state line and arrived in Bristol, Virginia. Carr stopped at a small all-night restaurant and asked Williams if he wanted to eat. Williams said he did not, and those are likely to be the last words he said. Yikes. Carr later drove on until he stopped for fuel at a gas station in Oak Hill, West Virginia, where he discovered Williams seemingly asleep in the back seat. He was unresponsive, and rigor mortis had already began to set in. Oh, geez. That was a long drive then. Carr immediately realized that he was dead and informed the filling station's owner, a guy by the name of Glenn Burdett, who called the chief of the police. Because a corpse was involved, the chief called in radio officer Howard Janey, The chief and Janie found some empty beer cans and the unfinished handwritten lyric to a song yet to be recorded in the back of the Cadillac. The town's coroner and mortician, Dr. Ivan Malinin, a Russian immigrant who barely spoke English. See, we got Russia in here, too. How do we do this? He found hemorrhages in his heart and neck and pronounced the cause of death as insufficiency of the right ventricle of the heart. A heart attack, heart failure. I was going to say, it sounds like heart failure. (laughs) That's a doctor speak, I guess. Malinin also found that apparently unrelated to his death, Williams had also been severely kicked in the nuts during a fight in a Montgomery bar a few days earlier in which he had also injured his left arm, which had been subsequently bandaged. This guy's going through it, man. How could he tell he got kicked in the nuts? I guess you can, I mean, it hurts so bad when you get kicked in the nuts. I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe one of the balls was still up in the stomach. I don't know. I mean, it hurts bad. I could see where it would show up on an autopsy. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, maybe there's just trauma to it or something. That evening, when the announcer at the Canton Theater announced Williams' death to the the crowd that was there, they started laughing, thinking it was just another excuse because this guy, like I said, mm-hmm. had a history of being unreliable due to his his uh, addictions. Well, some other performers that were on the bill that night started singing I Saw the Light as a tribute to Williams. The crowd, now realizing that he was indeed dead, followed along and were sad. Oh. 
So here's where things get even stranger. The circumstances of William's death are still controversial to this day. The original autopsy indicated that the cause of death was a heart attack. This is often the case when serious drugs are involved. We've heard that before. Mm-hmm. Elvis, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus, it sounds a little better than OD, I guess, in the in the press. Right. Yeah. The author of Williams' biography, however, later concluded that his death was heart failure caused by the combination of alcohol, morphine, and chloral hydrate in his system. Mm -hmm. There's some other strange things surrounding the driver car and multiple holes in his story during the investigations as is like, where did he stop? When did he actually find him dead? He was like, I don't know if he was just nervous or if foul plays afoot here. That's one of the theories. I'm not going to get into that because it's kind of just goes down another rabbit hole. I encourage you to seek out the source material if you want to learn more about Carr and uh, whether he had anything to do about this. So I'm finally going to get to the crime part. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. There was an an investigation in Oklahoma of Mr. Horace, whatever, Toby Marshall. As part of the investigation of illicit drug trafficking conducted by the Oklahoma legislature, Representative Robert Cunningham seized Marshall's files. During an initial hearing, Marshall insisted that he was a doctor, refusing to answer further statements. Marshall gave Cunningham a list of his patients, including Hank Williams. Defending his position, he claimed that Williams possibly committed suicide. Marshall stated that Williams told him that he had decided to destroy the Hank Williams that was making money they were getting. He attributed the decision to Williams' declining career. Most of the bookings were at like honky-tonk beer joints and bars. He was doing the fair circuit, you know, falling right. off the uh, the big tours. And Going he, to the casinos. Yeah, and he hated that. He didn't want it. He wanted to be still a big star. Right. He wanted to commit suicide and kind of do it while he still had enough prestige left as a star to make a first-class kind of thing of it, you know, not just some has-been musician. And it, it was thought that six months from now, if he had done it then – it would have been like people would have forgotten about it, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> so on March 10th, Marshall was called again to testify. He acknowledged that in previous testimony, he had falsely claimed to be a physician. Representative Cunningham presented the committee a telegram from Marshall's seized files directed to the estate of Hank Williams for $736.39 and stated that the committee was evaluating the revocation of Markle's, M- Markle's, Marshall's parole. Don't bring Megan into this. No. <laughs> She's got enough problems. Yeah. On March 12, 1953, Billie Jean Jones appeared before the Oklahoma committee. She stated that she received, after Williams' death, a bill for $800 from Marshall for the treatment. Jones refused to pay and further stated that Marshall later intended to convince her to pay him by assuring that she would pave her way to collect her husband's estate. So he's trying to swindle her that way as well. Yeah. Jones declared, I have never accepted the report that my husband died of a heart attack. Yikes. So she thinks foul play. Mm-hmm. On March 19th, Marshall declared that he felt Williams was depressed and committed suicide by taking a higher dose of the drugs he had prescribed. Marshall admitted that he had also prescribed chloral hydrate to his recently deceased wife, Faye, as a oh, headache medicine. <laughs> He denied any responsibility in both deaths. On March 21st, Robert Travis of the State Crime Bureau determined that Marshall's handwriting corresponded to that of Dr. Cecil W. Lemon or C.W. Lemon on six prescriptions written for Williams. The same day, the district attorney's office declared that after a new review of the biopsy, I'm sorry, autopsy report of (laughs) Faye Marshall, 
Toxicological and microscopic tests confirmed that her death on March 3rd was not related to the medication prescribed by her husband. Oh. Interesting. Hmm. Oklahoma Governor Johnston Murray revoked the parole of Horace Raffle Toby Marshall, who returned to prison to complete his forgery sentence. So what I saw on the, that's my story research. Anyway, what I saw on the TV while I was stair mastering away is that um, what they think the actual cause of death is, is that he got this in Tennessee, he got morphine and all this crap from this guy. And then when he got another dose from the actual doctor, from the do- yeah. it was too much and he OD'd. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you OD, you have heart failure and all this stuff. So right. sad, right? 29 years old. But that is sad. I mean, I guess it's ultimately his fault because he had all these vices and issues. But uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Hmm. But this Horace guy, totally scam artist making a for sure making a living off of giving stars fake prescriptions. Yikes. Crazy. All right. Not good. <clears throat> all right. Well, I hope you enjoyed these stories next week. We're going on vacation. A well-deserved break. Yes. We are going to be going on vacation. So what are we going to do instead? We are going to release probably our most popular episode ever. And I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head. So you'll just be surprised when it comes out on Monday. Not this coming. Well, not today. Because today's Monday when you hear this. The following week. It'll be our most popular episode we've had to date. Just kind of a little replay if you'd like to hear that again. Shouldn't we do our least popular episode i guess and maybe people listen to it finally well yeah (laughs) that's a fair point now that the show has taken (laughs) off maybe we should hey excellent point anyway well you'll just be surprised by whatever episode comes up (laughs) the bottom line is is that if you're a loyal subscriber thank you first of all and second of all you won't just have blank dead air yes on monday whatever the date is you will have a show yes you You may have heard it before if you haven't then listen to it. If you have, we'll listen to it again because you miss us. Yeah. And then we'll be back at it as soon as we get back. Perfect. All right. All right. Well, if you want any more information on these cases that we covered, please make sure to follow us on social media at How Did We Miss That? And until next week, keep your head up and look out for each other. <laughs>